Well, good morning. You heard John Politon say there that baptism is the beginning. And he's right. You know, baptism is the starting line of the Christian faith. It's not the finish line. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus, when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, we enter into a life of discipleship to Jesus. Now, discipleship is just a, it's really the state of being a disciple of Jesus. You remember the Great Commission in Matthew 28? Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so, when you place your faith in Jesus, you become a disciple. You're, you're a follower of him. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But you place your faith, you trust in him, and then the next thing you do is you get baptized. And then someday, hopefully long in the future, you're going to die and be with the Lord in heaven, or he's going to return. But either way, you'll be with the Lord. So the question becomes, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this time between faith and baptism and we go to be with the Lord? This is the life of discipleship. Another way to ask this question is, what should a disciple be doing and being in this life? And I think this is an important question. I've talked to a lot of people, and I, I see a lot of people fail to grow spiritually because they have the wrong answer to this question. They're thinking, what's the goal of the Christian life? And, and in their mind, the goal is just to get to heaven when you die, and I guess just be good in the meantime. And that's not entirely wrong, but it's incomplete, right? The goal is so much more. The goal of the Christian life, God wants to completely transform who we are, the way we think, the way we live our lives. He wants to transform all of that. This is the life of a disciple of Jesus. And just so you know, when you become a Christian, you become a disciple. This isn't an optional life. We don't want to say, this is just for the super committed people. I'll just be satisfied with being a Christian. No, you're a disciple. You're either going to be a good disciple, a faithful disciple, or you'll be a poor disciple, but you'll be a disciple nonetheless. And so what I was thinking is I would just give a charge to the four people who were baptized here today, but the reality is it's a charge to all of us to be faithful disciples of Jesus. And so to do this, we need to understand, we have to have a basic understanding of what does it mean to be a disciple? That's kind of a, a strange term. It's not a term you use in the marketplace or in schools or wherever you're at, wherever you live. It's not a term you see thrown around a lot. The term disciple basically just means one of a few things. It, it's, a, it's a learner, you know, like a student, it's a, it's a follower, it's an adherent to someone. And so you could be a disciple of lots of things. You could be a disciple of uh, Aristotle. Aristotle had disciples. You could be a disciple of, of, of Picasso, Mozart, Jay-Z, Steve Jobs, anything. You could be a follower of one of those people. But as Christians, we are disciples, we are followers, we are adherents of Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you maybe a, a, a full-orbed definition, an understanding. When you come across the scriptures and you see a disciple of Jesus, I want you to think in this picture that I'm going to give you. I want you to think with this definition. I'll give you three handles that you can grasp onto to help you understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So my definition is this. A disciple of Jesus is one who knows him personally, is being transformed into his likeness, and is doing his work 
on earth. That really is the goal of the Christian life. And we see each of these aspects of discipleship as we look at Jesus' invitation to his first disciples. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. And if you don't, no problem. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you, or you can just look up on the screen. It'll be up there as well. But uh, read along with me from Matthew 4. And let's see as Jesus calls his first disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they put, their, they put down their nets and they followed him. So the first aspect of discipleship that we see is a disciple of Jesus knows him personally. Right? We know Jesus personally. When Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting us to enter into a personal relationship with him, to know him personally. To know Jesus is to relate to him personally. Right? We love him. We trust him. We, we believe he is who he said he is, the Lord, God, King, our Savior. To know Jesus is to relate to him personally. We believe he, he did what he said he did. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He paid for our sins. He forgives us. We believe and we trust in him. Now, knowing Jesus, this is probably obvious, but knowing Jesus, right, doesn't just mean we know things about him. That's not the same thing, and I think, you, I think you know the difference. If I told you that I know Barack Obama, I said, guys, no, no, I, really, I know Barack Obama. And you're like, really? You know Barack Obama, the president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 44th president of the United States, current president. You know, he went to Harvard Law School, was born in Hawaii, 1962. Yeah, he's got a wife, two daughters, loves to play basketball. Sure, I know Barack Obama. You know, you say, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. Well, what's he like, you know, outside the office? I mean, what's he like when you're just kind of hanging out with him? And I said, well, yeah, I don't actually, I've never actually met him. You know, I've never actually spoken to him. I just got all that stuff on Wikipedia. You would probably conclude what? You'd conclude, dude, you don't know Barack Obama. I could get that on TV. In fact, if you think about it, I could go get a PhD in in, in Barack Obama, I could become an expert on him and never have actually even met the man. You know, in a very same way, we could become experts in Jesus. We could know so much Bible, so much things about Jesus. We could go get PhDs on Jesus and not even know him personally. So as followers of Christ, as his disciples, we want to know him personally. We want to relate to him personally. So we speak to him in prayer. We listen to his word and we, and we commit to obey it, right? We do these things so that we can have a stronger relationship with Jesus. Now, this is not a foreign concept. We do this all the time. It's not that complicated. We relate to people every day, right? I speak to my wife all the time. I listen to my wife most of the time. Okay? I do that because I want to have a stronger relationship with her. Right? We want to grow. I want to have a richer, more loving, trusting relationship. So I relate to her personally. Now, this is a caution, and it's probably obvious, but like any relationship, it takes time to grow and develop. 
right? It, it develops naturally. The people who are celebrating this new life they have in Jesus, it's going to take them a while to know him more personally. They'll grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus, right? I, I know my wife more now than when I married her six, seven years ago, and I met her 10 years ago. I know her more. We have a stronger relationship. So don't be discouraged if you're a new Christian and you feel like, I don't feel like I know Jesus as well as every People talk about this great trust and relationship and this love for the Lord. I don't have that yet. You will. It's a journey. Be patient. You will grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus as you continue to know him and follow him. And so Jesus is calling us to know him personally. He's calling us to enter into a lifelong relationship with him. But he's calling us to more than that. Some people stop there. They say, oh, great, I know Jesus personally. He saved me, great. No, 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 no. He's calling us to more. He's calling us to a life of transformation. Jesus wants to change us. So the second aspect of discipleship is that a disciple is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Right? I, will, I will do a transforming work in your life. I will change you, and you will have a new purpose in your life, but it won't just stop with a new purpose. My transformative work will, will impact every area of your life. Eventually, you will be like me. Look at what the scriptures say. A disciple, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher. I'm in, Paul writes, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We are being transformed into the same image. We're predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. We shall be like him when he appears. When we follow Christ, we are trying to be like him. And not just the external behaviors, not just what's on the outside, but we want his heart. Right? We want his character. We want his attitude. We want his thoughts. Following Jesus involves a transformation of the entire self, inside and outside. When we follow Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't change our clothes. Right? He changes the very fabric of our being. He does a transformative work that gets to our heart, that gets to our core. And you may think, ah, oh, this sounds like it's going to take a while because I got some stuff in me that needs some changing, and I got a lot of stuff that needs some changing. Yeah, it will take a while. It will take your life. You'll never be perfectly transformed this side of heaven, right? This will take your entire life, but God wants the process to begin now nevertheless, so he wants to do a work in our lives. Now, I want to give a... a maybe a caution, especially to new believers, but really to anybody. So this is kind of one of the things I'm saying to new believers, but I'm really saying to all of us. There is a pressure in the church to look the part of a faithful disciple, of a faithful Christian, right? Have you noticed this? There's kind of a pressure to uh, fake it till you make it kind of thing, right? To act as if everything's great, everything's fine, I'm doing wonderful, even when I'm not, I don't know what the builders did for this parking lot. They, they found like this magic asphalt. It's unbelievable how this stuff works. They, they spread this on the parking lots out there. Early. I don't know if you noticed this, but couples who have been fighting all week long and are at each other's throats, they pull onto that parking lot, they're transformed into holy, harmonious, you know, 
they're loving each other, holding hands, and they were fighting on the way over here. That parking lot, woo, it's got power. Someone who's angry, uh, they're a mean person, all of a sudden they're kind to everybody. You know, people who are struggling with addiction, they're sober, they're clean, they're, no problems here. We put this facade on. You know, I think when we come to church, we probably ought to limp a little bit more as people. Because you know what? Unlike the hymn says, every day with Jesus doesn't always feel sweeter than the day before. Right? We have some junk going on inside of our lives. Right? Not all of us. In fact, all of us have some, some issues, some things that are going wrong with us. And some of it's hidden. You're doing a good job of hiding it from people. And some of it's obvious. We know, I know that person's junk. But ours is hidden, right? Whether it's, whether it's uh, strained relationships, family conflict, arrogance, pride, addictions, whatever, we all got stuff going on in our lives that we need Jesus to fix. We can't fix it on our own. We need Jesus to do a transformative work in our lives. And so uh, let's be honest with what's going on inside us. Because this is the realm of God's transforming work inside he wants to change our, our heart, especially our desires. This is, this is what God wants to do in us, even more than our behaviors. I'm not saying he doesn't care about the behaviors, but he's more concerned about our heart, because out of our heart then flows our behaviors. And at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but I would rather be the kind of man, not just who doesn't sin, I want to be the kind of man who doesn't want to sin. And I can't do that on my own. I need Jesus to change my heart. Thankfully, God wants to do that. But he wants more than just transformation because when he transforms us, we're going to do things. And a disciple of Jesus does his work on earth. This is the third point here. A disciple of Jesus does his work on earth. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Enter into a personal relationship with me. Get to know me. Follow me. I'm going to do a transforming work in your life, and I'm going to give you a new purpose. You're going to carry out my mission when I'm gone. Now, our primary mission, Jesus says, is to make more disciples, to be fishers of men. He puts his mission in language that, uh, that these guys can relate to, that they can understand. I mean, they could have understand basic stuff, but... He puts it in language that they can really connect with. These guys are casting nets and they're trying to get in fish. He's like, guys, you're catching fish. You're looking for fish. I'm going to do a work in your life and now you're going to be catching men. You're going to be fishing for my people. I, I could easily see him if he was coming uh, to earth today and he was going to start his ministry here and he, he could go to the Mayo Clinic and, say, and, and gather a bunch of doctors around him and say, hey, guys, Men, women, here's what we're going to do. You've been healing people's bodies and their emotions, but now you're going to be healing their souls. He could go to the schools and say, teachers, gather around. Follow me. You've been teaching people worldly truth. Now you're going to teach people truth about the kingdom of heaven. He could go to homes and say, moms, moms, you've been nurturing, you've been nurturing your little ones. You've been caring for them, helping them grow. Now you're going to be nurturing my children. He puts his mission in language that they can understand. We are to make disciples. This is why Jesus left us on this planet. I always wondered when I was younger, if heaven's so great, and if I'm going there, why doesn't God just take me? 
I don't want any pain and all this other stuff. I mean, yeah, life's great, but if heaven's so much better, why doesn't he just zap me up there now? He has a mission for us here on earth. And it's not like God was uh, uh, confused or all of a sudden he said, hey, wait a minute, I got all these people who are following me. What should I have them do? They're just kind of looking around there bored or something. Maybe I'll, I'll figure out something for them to do. No, 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 no. I love what Christopher Wright wrote in his book, The Mission of, of God's People. He wrote, Jesus doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. Right? This is, our, this is our critical purpose. Our goal as a church is to make disciples. This is why he has us here. This is why we gather. Disciples of Jesus must, must go out into the world and carry out his mission. And, you know, I talked about we gather here as a church, and we do, but we're kind of like a football team. I played football when I was younger. I wasn't very good at it. I was kind of a wimp. Uh, but I played football, and as a football, if you know anything about football, the football team does what before they run a play? They huddle up, right? And what do they do? They huddle, and they, they, they talk about the play, they gather, and there's some importance in the huddle, right? They kind of get on the same page, and they, and they communicate to each other. So the huddle has purpose, but then what do they do after the huddle? They break, and they go run the play. The church, we gather, our huddle is when we gather here on Sunday mornings or during the week, we gather to be trained, to be learned. It has a purpose and a power in the huddle. But guess what? We break. We go out into the world and we carry on Jesus' mission. We begin to impact the world. The purpose of a football team is not to huddle. The purpose of a football team is to play the game. The purpose of the church is not to gather, is not to huddle. The purpose of the church as followers of Christ, our purpose is to go out and to carry out his mission. Now, just as a warning, I talk about doing Jesus' work, and some pe sometimes people come to Christ and they jump to this point, and they think, okay, I'm doing Jesus' work, so it must be making me more like Christ. This is good. Right now, I'm really godly. I'm really righteous. Uh, not necessarily. Don't ever confuse doing things, doing God's work, with being righteous, with being like Christ. I've met lots of people who serve Jesus, and they have terrible attitudes. They don't look a lot like Christ at all, right? So doing the work, don't, it doesn't substitute for God's transformative work in your life. He wants all three of these components, follow, knowing him, being transformed, and doing his work. You can't really extract them from each other. Now, sometimes God's mission, when we carry, we, we carry out his mission, we do his work, sometimes it does transform us. Right? There is some transformative work that goes on. For example, uh, if you've ever been on a mission trip, okay, I, my wife and I would travel to Tanzania, and if you've ever been to Tanzania, it's not a comfortable place to be. Okay? You eat chicken that has no chicken on it. Right? Your, your, your toilet, you don't sit on it. It's, it doesn't come above the ground. I like comfort, and when I go serve on a mission trip, I, I know the purpose of a mission trip, I'm going to go, and I'm going to serve, but you know what God does when I'm on those trips? He brings me face to face with one of my idols, comfort. And as I serve him, I'm just, I'm just slapped in the face. Steve, you practically worship comfort. You need to stop. You need to serve me whether you're comfortable or not. And it just, it just comes face to face. So God uses that as like iron just sharpening me. And it smooths me out. I realize, you know, that is one of my idols, God. I need you to fix that. So we have a definition and an understanding of what a disciple is. Knows Jesus personally. He's being transformed into his likeness and is doing his work on earth. Now the million dollar question is, how do I grow as a disciple? 
How can I be like that, be a faithful disciple? And remember, our journey of discipleship is a lifelong process, right? There's no magic pill you can swallow and all of a sudden, whoop, you're a faithful disciple. It doesn't work that way. This journey has ups and downs. It has uh, smooth patches, rough patches, but it's a journey we must travel. And so I want to leave you with just two thoughts, and with this we'll close. Uh, two thoughts that I think won't help you. I'm not going to give you 19 steps. These are just two things I think you can do to help grow as a disciple of Jesus. And the first one, you might think it seems kind of obvious, Steve, but um, it's following Jesus' example. As disciples, we should follow Jesus' example. You remember those bracelets, WWJD? You remember those things, those little bracelets? I think we got a picture of them there. Uh, yeah, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And they were kind of corny, uh, rainbow colors and all that stuff, but you'd wear them. And so I guess the, the logic was, okay, if I wear this bracelet and I walk into a situation and someone, you know, slaps me on the, on the cheek, oh, I look at my bracelet and say, what would Jesus do? Oh, I'll turn the other cheek, you know, or, you know, uh, but it doesn't work that way. Well, has it worked that way for you? No, because when I'm in that moment, right, it's not enough for me to say, oh, if Jesus did that, I'll just do that. It's kind of too late for me, right, because my heart's not there. My heart is to punch the person in the face, right? My, my, God hasn't done that transformative work in my life, so I got a better one. It's better than WWJD. This is my new one I'm going to come up with here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How did Jesus live his life in order to be the kind of person he was in order to do the things he did? <laughs> Will you buy one? Because they're on sale. They're wraparound. They're wraparound. But, but that's where it's got to start. It's not enough for me to say, oh, I'll just go be like Jesus. What, what I want, I want, to do the, I, want to, I want to do the things that made him the kind of person he was so that he could do the things he did. Right? You say, oh, Steve, but he was Jesus. I mean, come on, he had some kind of special powers, right? I mean, he was God. I can't do that. Well, not so fast. Jesus did a lot of things that we can do. He prayed to the Father. He depended upon the Father. He read the Scriptures. He fasted to, to tune his attention and to get his dependence on the Father. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we can do all of this stuff. We can follow Jesus' example in that. And just so you know, those activities I listed, sometimes we say, oh, you want to be more holy, do these things. Those activities don't make you more like Christ necessarily. They simply open up your life to God and allow him to do a transformative work in your life. So you can't say, ah, I've read the Bible a lot. I must be really God-like. Not necessarily, right? Those, those things, those disciplines are opportunities for us to open our lives and let God do the real work inside of us. And sometimes that sin is deep within us. Let me give you an example of how this uh, is playing out in my life right now. Um, my wife and I, are we sold our house. So we've already sold our house. We're living in a, an apartment with our daughter and a baby on the way. No, not my baby, my wife's baby. Uh, you can see how you can be confused. Um, so we're waiting, and it's stressful, you know, we're, we're, we're anxious, we see pri housing prices are going up, interest rates are going up, and, and it's like that musical chairs, you know, the music's playing, and like we don't have a seat yet, and I'm afraid that we're going to miss out, so I have anxiety, 
I have some stress about this, and my wife has double the stress. She's a warrior, so we're, we're stressing out about this, this move. And so I can say, oh, Jesus says don't be stressful. Ah, that's, that's hard. I can't just go do that in the moment. I have to let God do a work in my life so I can be less stressful, less anxious, more patience. And here's what it looks like. Okay, so I read the Bible. I take God's word and I see, okay, Jesus, he promises that he cares for me more than, the, more than the sparrows, more than the lilies on the field. He cares about me. Okay, that's a promise. I claim that. I, I still struggle with it. Okay, I see Jesus when, when he struggles with something. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, not my will. If there's any way, I'm paraphrasing, if there's any way for this, this suffering to pass for me, Lord, I'd like to happen, but really it's not about my will, it's about your will. He submits his will to the Father. So I recognize when I read God's word, I may have to submit my will to the Father's will. I need to do that. And so I go to the Lord in prayer, just like Jesus did. I say, Jesus, my will is to get the right house at the right time for the right price and all of that stuff, but that might not be your will. And so I submit that over to him. You know, he does even more work than that. So he doesn't just say, Steve, I'm going to just take away your anxiety. He, he goes even deeper. Steve, you're anxious because you don't trust me. Steve, you, you're impatient because you think my timing won't be good. You think whatever I give you won't be enough to satisfy you. And so that's my deep root sin. Not just being anxious, but that deep down I don't trust the Lord that maybe he won't be enough to satisfy me, that I need this house at this price, at this type of material things. And so God does this work in my life. As I do these disciplines, as I follow Jesus' example, he begins to transform me. The second thing is when we, when we don't live life like Jesus did, when we trip, when we fail, when we sin, when we battle that, that, that old sin that just keeps getting us, what do we do? What is our inclination to do? Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm never going to do that again. I can't believe I did that. Again? Oh, okay, Jesus, this time I promise I'll, I will not do that again. I'm done. Never again. Has anybody done that? I mean, this is the last time. How many last times does there have to be before you realize you can't fix yourself? You need Jesus to do the real work in our lives. And so we trust in Jesus, we run to the cross. We say, Lord, I'm not going to beat myself up over and over. I'm just going to run to you and say, God, will you fix this? And you might say, oh, Steve, I think we need to beat ourselves up. Otherwise, we're not taking sin seriously enough. I mean, if we, if we don't, like, repent a thousand times and, and sackcloth and ashes and promise never to do it again, God, or Steve, doesn't that mean we're, we're not taking sin seriously enough? Uh, my answer would be try it and see if it works that way. Try, try what I'm about to lead us in. We're going to close right here. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that I've just, to be honest, I've been praying this type of prayer a lot lately. As I come to grips with my own failure to obey Jesus, failure to follow him, I'm a poor disciple in this sense. I'm not being transformed. I, I give this prayer to Jesus. So I'm just going to lead us in this prayer, and this might be you. You may have that sin that you've been battling for 10 years, and you just keep doing it and you're trying hard and hard, maybe we have this attitude. So would you close with me as we bow our heads? And this might be a prayer that you would, um, you would express. Lord Jesus, I'm 
not the kind of person I want to be. And Lord, more importantly, as I look at my life, I'm not the kind of person you want me to be. And I cannot seem to fix it on my own. I need you to change me. I need you to make me want to change those areas that I'm, I'm resisting. Lord, I'm tired of hiding my sin. I'm tired of pretending to be someone I'm not. I no longer want to cover my sin with good works. Lord, I want to be open with you about who I really am. And I want to stop trying to fix myself by my own power. I open my life to you. Lord, this is precisely why you had to save me. Because I'm unable to save myself. Lord, I I don't believe this minimizes sin. It just minimizes my ability to fix it on my own and my dependence on you. Jesus, I trust that your death on the cross was sufficient to atone for my sins. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. And thank you for allowing me to walk in discipleship to you. I give you all the glory. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. May you leave here, walk as faithful disciples. See you next week.